The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit VoiceAmerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Help! I need somebody! Help! Not just anybody! Help! You know I need someone! Welcome to Family Caregivers Unite with Dr. Gordon Atherley. Family caregivers don't have to be alone in their experiences. You will hear from experts and other caregivers facing the same issues that you may be facing. Now, here is your host, Dr. Gordon Atherley. Welcome to episode 155 of Family Caregivers Unite. This is Dr. Gordon Atherley, your host. Since retiring from medical practice, I've become an activist for family caregiving. Our topic today is moving from caregiver to care partner. Now, the idea of family caregivers as partners in caring for their family members is important because family caregivers are being relied on more and more by the healthcare and social services systems. Family caregivers are being relied on especially for caring for family members' illnesses that neither doctors nor the healthcare system can cure. But family caregiving can put a huge burden on the shoulders of family caregivers. The burden can be so huge that it exhausts family caregivers physically, psychologically, and financially. And to make matters worse, the healthcare and social professions have still to fully accept that family caregivers are partners in caring for family members, which is why our topic moving from caregiver to care partner is so important. And to discuss it, our guest today is Dr. Tina Cahill. Uh, Tina authored The Cahill Factor, Turning Adversity into an Advantage, a powerful personal story about wisdom, resilience, and caregiving. She writes for leading national consumer media and professional publications on blogs at bewell.com. She's an expert at strengthforcaring.com, a website that is cornerstone of the Johnson & Johnson Caregiver Initiative. Her occasional articles are published at wellspouse.com. Her academic credentials include a doctorate in clinical psychology, a master's degree in counseling, and a bachelor's degree in education. She's actively involved with community-based volunteer groups dedicated to families, caregivers, and history. She serves on the honorary board for the Well Spouse Association, is a community advisor for the Renaissance Learning Center in West Palm Beach, Florida, and a former board member of the YWCA in Princeton, New Jersey. Welcome to the show, Tina. Well, thank you, Gordon. It's wonderful to be with you. Thanks so much. You're very welcome. Now, first question for you. Just tell us a bit more about your professional career. Well, I think you sort of hit the big things. I was a school teacher, 
the 70s hit in the United States, and the doors opened for women, and I was able to fight my way into graduate school. By that time, I was a single mother with three kids. My former husband and I had separated, and, you know, they were not too sure they wanted to let women in, let alone women with kids, but I, I was able to get through that little crack in the door. Uh, did my doctorate in clinical psychology, uh, worked in and worked in private practice for many years, and then I remarried. My uh, husband Brooks is a former Marine Corps fighter pilot, and he was a captain with a major airline. Uh, he went to bed one night, and by morning was given no chance to live. He had a cerebral hemorrhage. We'll talk about that in a little bit. But after a few years, I decided that what I really wanted to do was form my company, which is called Wisdom and Beyond LLC, which is a multimedia company. And I speak around the world on resilience and leadership and caregiving and sort of, uh, you know, try to give meaning to what happened and to teach what I've learned and to entertain. But, of course, I learn the most, right? Don't we learn from those we work with? Right. Tell us now, please, Tina, about your own experience with family caregiving. You mentioned your husband. Please talk about that. Your care okay, well, family. first of all, I have three children, and when my husband married, uh, he had uh, three children. So, you know, parenting is caregiving, right? And I took care of my mother, who passed away after a long illness. I took care of my stepfather. And that's something that doesn't really get covered in caregiving that much, but we do have a lot of adults caring for their step-parents uh, now in this world. And I also helped with my uh, husband's parents uh, when they were older and as they were dying. But um, about 20 years ago, it's true, after combining families, and my husband would call it uh, dogs, kids, and rock and roll, uh, this very healthy, you know, fighter pilot, commercial airline, elite athlete, went to bed one night, and by morning they said he had no chance to live. He did have a cerebral cerebral hemorrhage. He has some cognitive impairment, but he also has a spinal cord injury, and Brooks is not able to take even a single step, unable and doesn't have full use of his hands. He's a great guy. We have a great time. But a few years into this, I mean, you can imagine waking up one morning and life has changed and you have six kids to educate and to help educate and all these things. Um, But one day I decided, you know, I was feeling kind of not so great. And I thought, Tina, why are you not feeling great? You have a great life. Brooks is alive. You have wonderful kids and in-law kids, wonderful friends, wonderful grandchildren. What's with you? And I realized that I really needed to have something that was just mine. Because as caregivers, we really work to support as leaders to develop the potential of the people around us. So I said, well, what do you want to do? What are you good at? Well, I went through college on public speaking scholarships. I know a couple things. I have a good background professionally as well as personally. And so I decided to start speaking about caregiving and resilience and leadership. And at first, people didn't want me at all. <laughs> because, and uh, But after a while, then my friends would go to all the talks. But now, um, as I've told you before, I've spoken a couple times up in Canada. I'm all over the world. I also speak in corporations about resilience and leadership. And I've spoken from Istanbul to um, Phoenix to all over the United States to Curacao, Canada. So um, I do that and try to teach what I've learned. But again, I will say I learned so much from this. Right. Tina, you, you were talking about moving from caregiver to care partner. What, right. does that, what does that mean? Well, I'm a little science girl, and I like research. And we know that in the field of psychology, we have a lot of research now uh, on what's right about us, how to build on our health 
and become even more resilient or stronger. And one of the leaders in that field, um, what, there were many leaders in the field at the University of Pennsylvania, and what was developed was something called cognitive behavioral psychology. And the bottom line of that is that our thoughts affect our feelings and our feelings affect our behaviors. So that if I think that I'm alone and there's no help out there, I'm going to feel not so great and I'm probably not going to go try to take any risks or to change things. But if I feel that I'm not alone, that help is out there, I'm, if I think that that I'm more likely to feel more empowered to go change my life. And when we change how we think about things, it's called a cognitive reframe. So one day after working in the caregiving field for a few years and realizing that nobody really wants to talk about it, which is why I love your show, nobody really wants to talk about it. It isn't in the marketing term, quote, sexy, right? It's thought as drudgery, and the number one problems that caregivers have is they get isolated. I decided, why don't we do a cognitive reframe? Let's call it care partners, and this is why that matters. First of all, when I change my thinking, I'm no longer alone. I have a partner, and I can expect my husband to take care of me in ways that are commensurate with his ability. But and that's an important issue, but also he and I can then go out to the world and offer to be partners with someone else on their care partner team as they help us out and join our team. And when we do that, we've really attacked that really big number one problem that you sort of talked about in the prelude to this show, the isolation and overwhelming aloneness that caregivers feel. And so I made a choice that we should change our language and view ourselves as care partners because it's healthier for us. And by the way, the research in positive psychology will tell us it's healthier for our partners if they contribute to us also in ways where they can be successful. Now, this idea of the care partner, that, that is the person who the family caregiver started out by looking after, but is That's now right. viewing uh, as a partner. What's the, what's the effect of this, and I love the term, cognitive reframe on the partner? Well, if you look into the research on um, you know, healthy living, the research into positive psychology, we know how important contribution is. For all of us, gratitude, appreciation, contribution, these are all behaviors that are highly correlated with the best life. In fact, when the positive psychology researchers um, ask people, you know, what, what makes you feel the best, almost always working in the welfare of others gives people a real, the biggest lift. So why should I deprive my husband of that opportunity? Why should I not help him use his strengths to have a passion to make a contribution in ways that are commensurate with his abilities? Because that's how he'll be happiest, and that's what's best for him. And in fact, Martin Seligman at the University of uh, Pennsylvania as was Aaron Beck. Aaron Beck started cognitive behavioral psychology, and now Martin Seligman has done, and his group have done more research into positive psychology. And uh, they talk a lot about, uh, in positive psychology, the importance of contribution. So I want my husband to have that opportunity to be successful. They define happiness as finding our strengths, having a passion, and making a contribution. 
So even though there are many things that my husband used to be able to do that he can't do now, there are many things he's, he can do now that he didn't do before. And so by using his strengths and knowing that he's a viable partner, even though he may not be able to walk or write effectively or things like that, but he's valued, that's so great for his mental health, and it makes him happier. And quite honestly, if he's happier, I'm happier. And if I'm happier, he's happier. So it yeah. works for everyone. I want to pick up on that word just quickly, valued. That is, his becoming the partner with you uh, makes him feel that he has value, that he's valued, that he's Absolutely. contributing something. Is that, that's right, is it? Absolutely. And you know how important that is. If you're a care receiver, if somebody's doing everything for you and you don't have an avenue to know how to contribute to the world or if people don't even ask you to contribute, you start to be treated like an object, right? That's not healthy for anybody. It's healthier for all of us to have a way to be successful through con contributing to other people. And, and valuing one another, both caregiver and care receiver, is a really big part of making a healthy dynamic in a, in a caregiving situation. So when we change that language to partners, I think already just in those words, we've changed the value. Got it. Now, talking of value, this is where we take a short break because we have to pay the rent. This is Dr. <laughs> this is Dr. Gordon Atherley, and my guest is Dr. Tina Cahill. You're listening to Family Caregivers Unite on the Voice America Variety Channel. Please stay with us. We're coming back. This is the home of the top life coaches, entrepreneurs, and success drivers. The Voice America Empowerment Channel. If you are having difficulty balancing everything in your life, be sure to tune in to Change is Personal with Kim Fuller. Each week, we'll help you do your own self-assessment to handling relationships, family, life challenges, health, and personal goals. Kim and her guests share from experiences and offer advice and resources to keep your life on track. Change is Personal with Kim Fuller can be heard live every Wednesday at 1 p.m. Pacific Time, 4 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. Listen and start having a fuller life. How do you feel about the future? Tune in each week for Visionary Leader Extraordinary Life with host Kate Ebner. You can be a great leader by learning from the inspiring stories of amazing visionaries who are shaping our future. Everyone deserves to create their own vision, and Kate and her guests will share the tools that you need to make it happen. Make a weekly visit to the Voice America Business Channel for Visionary Leader, Extraordinary Life, every Monday at 11 a.m. Eastern Time, 8 a.m. Pacific Time. Be inspired. Become inspiring. It's your world. Motivate. Change. Succeed. VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com You are listening to Family Caregivers Unite with Dr. Gordon Atherley. If you have any questions or comments about our program, please address them by email to docg at familycaregiversunite.org. That's D-O-C, the letter G, at FamilyCaregiversUnite.org. Don't forget, you can catch new episodes of our program twice every week, Mondays on the Voice America Empowerment Channel and Tuesdays on the Voice America Variety Channel. Now, back to Family Caregivers Unite. 
Welcome back to our listeners to Family Caregivers Unite and Dr. Tina Cahill. Our topic is moving from caregiver to care partner. Let's talk about now the challenges for family caregivers and why moving from caregiver to care partner can be so important. So, Tina, first question. Tell us about the challenges. What, in your experience of family caregiving, were the most important challenges? Well, important in what way? Do you mean, what do you mean by important? Difficult. That is the sense okay. that to okay. you there were stumbling blocks. Right. I think that, that, that when we are in a care partner situation and when we're working with someone whose um, physical condition changes over time, that there are different, there are constantly different stages. And each one of those stages can be difficult in its own special way. For example, when my husband was first had the cerebral hemorrhage and he ended up with a shunt and he had surgery and he had some strokes and he has some TIAs around his brain, some transient ischemic attacks, which left little scars on his brain. His, um, he's a really smart guy. But his view of the world changed a little bit. His memory, his short-term memory, uh, his short-term memory loss. And as you well know, we have to hold things in short-term memory a little bit to get them into long-term memory. So if you have short-term memory loss for a long time, you know, it's harder to conjure up long-term memory for those most recent things. So I would have trouble that he couldn't remember something. Or one of the things that happened was how he perceived direction was different. This man was a pilot. He, I, I never did know where I was going, you know, and I always <laughs> relied on him. And then I had to learn that that was different. So there are many different things. One day we were in the kitchen. This is right after he came back from the hospital, after being in the hospital for quite some time. And he was um, what doing what we would call confabulating. He was taking parts of one story and putting it together with another story into another story. And because my husband is a retired lieutenant colonel from the U.S. Marine Corps, he has a lot of power and a lot of authority. And, you know, you could believe his story, but I knew that he believed his story because when you confabulate, you do believe it, but I knew that the story wasn't really what had happened. And so it took a long time for me at the beginning to not get mad at him for those things or to not correct him or want to get or want to correct him and to come to terms with the fact that that's just how it was. Quite honestly, 20 years down the road, that isn't really such a big problem anymore because now I expect him to get confused. I expect him not to remember things, and I expect him to remember them in ways different from I'm from how I might remember them. So I've adjusted. But it takes time to do those kinds of things. And and as my mother became more ill, you know, again, she, ha- she had um, uh, COPD, so her level of functioning went down. Eventually, um, her cognitive functioning was impacted. And, um, you know, it's hard to uh, deal with those kinds of things, regardless of what somebody has. So I think what we have to do in those situations is surround us ourselves with some people where we can talk about it and know that we're not going to be perfect and that in time, 
you know, time helps us adjust to these things. Right. Now, several times you've mentioned that you've learned from other family caregivers. In fact, I think you were giving it the highest priority. Please say something about the things that you've learned from other family caregivers relative to their challenges. Right. Well, I've, I've learned a little bit about what you and I were just talking about, that everybody goes through some... There, I, I don't know that I believe that there are predictable stages in caregiving. I know that, um, oh, I've forgotten her name now, the woman that wrote, the, that wrote Passages, Gail Sheehy. She interviewed me once a few years ago, and I know she wrote a book that sort of tried to put caregiving in stages. I think the, the issue is that, that everybody's story is a little bit different, and it's just not about the two different partners. It's about what kind of family support is there, um, what kind of financial problems might there be, you know, all of these kinds of things. So what I've learned when, when I talk with caregivers, and one of the things I learned from them, is that it really matters that we have some tools. And that's how, that's really what led me to the idea of care partnership as a tool for resilience for both myself and for my husband. And I think talking about resilience and talking about leadership, I have to tell you that I have a, uh, my view of leadership, and I'm not the only one, is that leaders don't, it's not a hierarchical model like you think about in business. It's actually quite lateral. And that what really le- great leaders do, I don't care if it's the prime minister of Canada, the president of the United States, I don't care who it is, or if it's a mother or a father or a teacher or whatever, great leaders develop the potential of the people around them. And this really matters to me that caregivers see themselves as the great leaders they are. Well-meaning people frequently, you know, want to have groups where caregivers get together and they talk about things. But when I started to experience some of that, I realized that everybody was talking about what was wrong. And in a way, the worse the story was, you know, the more people were involved in it. But I know from the field of positive psychology that our health is built on seeing what's right, not what's wrong. And it doesn't mean that we can't talk about what's wrong, because we can, but we really have to zero in on what's right. So I kind of learned I didn't want to go down that road of seeing everything that was wrong because I didn't like how I felt when I did that. I wanted to go down the road where I had hope because hope is biological. You know that when we have hope, we make beta endorphins in our brain, just like when we exercise and it gives us energy and it changes our perception of things. So I came up with one one tool to use to sort of remind myself to do that was to see myself as a leader, that it's not all about me. Okay, so I'm having a rough day or things are not so great, and it doesn't mean I can't be upset. It doesn't mean I can't share it with a friend, but I have to see myself as part of the greater world and know that as a leader, you know, part of my job is to help those around me develop their potential so that I can take what I've learned and teach it to them just as I hope they do that with me or just as my partner might do that with me. So I've learned that it takes tools and intentional strategy about how I'm thinking about things 
to keep myself in a place where I think it's healthiest and the most fun because I like to have a good time. Right. Now, I'm asking you why, again, moving from caregiver to care partner is so important. You've given many reasons why it's important, but I just want to pick on one that you mentioned a moment ago, and that is hope. Um, Is the core benefit, the core importance of moving from caregiver to care partner, the question of hope, or does it go beyond that? Well, I think that is a great way to look at it, Gordon. And it, it, I mean, there's, there are a lot of things that come from it. But you know, what's the biggest hope here? I love my husband. I don't want to lose him. This was a love affair. I don't want to lose that love affair. I loved my mother. I didn't want to lose her. So I, I think we all go through these things. And when we set it up to treat one another as partners, where we can give to one another, commensurate with abilities, that's important. I can't ask my husband to do something he's not capable of doing. I couldn't ask my mother to do something she wasn't capable of doing. But when we keep our uh, expectations realistic, guess what? The relationship continues. And we have hope that we still have a relationship with our loved one. And that sustains us. And that sustains our loved one. And so I think you were so smart to key on the hopeful part of it because it makes me feel all is not lost. There's still perhaps a changing relationship, but a very valued one. And I felt that way with my mother and with my in-laws. And I think that it gives us hope that we are still connected with the person that we love. And really and truly, not a whole lot matters more in this world other than love. I think love heals, love is forgiving, and love, knowing that we, are in a, we can both love and be loved, is critical to any relationship, particularly a caregiving relationship. And what you've said about love really bonds the idea of family to caregiving, doesn't it? That is to say, partners get together and they get together these days in various ways but it's because they have love for each other and what I'm also getting from you Tina is the idea that this transition from caregiver to care partner is in effect a continuation of the love that set up the family whatever it is, in the first place. Is you're that absolutely, right? You're absolutely right. I, that is exactly right. I, I, that's exactly right. And I also, and I, I think also, you know, we have a lot of children. Our children are wonderful. In fact, we live in an extended family home with our daughter, son-in-law, and their three kids. We bought a home together. And I do lots of babysitting and driving the kids around. And my husband has been a wonderful athletic coach for the kids and helping them turn into little, you know, baseball, tennis players and all those kinds of things. And um, I think what gives, I mean, no kid wants to lose a parent, let's be clear. And I think that when, I, it is my hope that when the extended family, when our children and grandchildren see us, still contributing to one another and still having that tangible connection of love, 
that it gives not only a model to them for what a good relationship looks like, but it gives them hope and helps them not worry so much. Because when you have older parents, you worry when you're the kid, and I don't want them to worry that much. So partly I think it's and, and I would put them on our care partner team. There's no two ways about it. They do lots to support us, but I support them too. And so does my husband in ways that he can. But I just think it helps them not feel so overwhelmed that they have to carry the ball all the time because they can see that that we do have love for one another and it sort of keeps the family a little bit more like it always was. Right. Now, this is the time where we have to cut in with the break, so let's do that. This is Dr. Gordon Adderley, and my guest is Dr. Tina Cahill. You're listening to Family Caregivers Unite on the Voice America Variety Channel. Please stay tuned. We're coming back. Success starts here. VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com. It's your world. Are you lost, fed up, knowing you're better, and yet not knowing why? Let Derek O'Neill transform the not knowing into the knowing by showing you the way. Whether it's not being able to drop the excess weight to unhealthy relationships or finances that you know you deserve. Derek provides insights that are like magnets to invite what you want in your life and repel what you don't want. Tune in to Derek now to discover how to improve your life immediately and unleash the winner that you know you are and others need to see. Listen Mondays at 9 a.m. Pacific Time on Voice America Variety. Are you ready for real change in your life? Deep down inside you is a magnificent being just looking to break free. Tune in to Manifesting Abundance with Deborah Loran and Jim Del Vecchio. Most people need to make some minor adjustments in attitude and behavior to achieve alignment with their inner being. Jim and Deborah will help outline these changes and give you the steps you need to create some major improvements in your life. Listen for Manifesting Abundance Thursdays at 11 a.m. Eastern Time, 8 a.m. Pacific on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. Success starts here. VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com. It's your world. You are listening to Family Caregivers Unite with Dr. Gordon Atherley. If you have any questions or comments about our program, please address them by email to docg at familycaregiversunite.org. That's D-O-C, the letter G, at FamilyCaregiversUnite.org. Don't forget, you can catch new episodes of our program twice every week, Mondays on the Voice America Empowerment Channel and Tuesdays on the Voice America Variety Channel. Now, back to Family Caregivers Unite. Welcome back to our listeners to Family Caregivers Unite and Dr. Tina Cahill. Our topic is moving from caregiver to care partner. So let's now talk about the ways in which family caregivers can and do move from caregiver to care partners. Let's, Tina, start with the idea that when family caregivers move from caregiver to care partner, let's explore how this changes the roles and responsibilities and why are these changes beneficial. And it, I know it's obvious what I mean by roles and responsibilities, but I'm emphasizing the way in which people pers- 
perceive themselves and are perceived in what they're supposed to be doing. Tina? Well, if I understand what you're asking me, um, I guess I guess what I would say is the first thing we have to do is if I'm a caregiver to my husband and I decide we're going to be care partners, I better have a talk with him about that. <laughs> I think that really has to be talked about because um, because it is a change in perhaps uh, a dynamic that had been set up. And I think when we have those conversations with our loved ones, we have to have them in a very positive way, letting them know that they can please us, they can be successful with us, and maybe talking about the things that we like that they do, ways they can care for us. I just did that last night with my husband, by the way. I said to him, I like it when we sit next to each other and you put your arm around me. And so he put his arm around me. Um, so I think we just sort of have to get that dialogue going because it does change the role that a lot of times gets set up where, you know, someone has had an illness or an incapacitating event or something, and they don't exactly know what's expected of them anymore. So I think communication, 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 but done in a positive way and as much as possible without criticism. I always like those magic words, I feel when you because. I feel great when you put your arm around me because it makes me feel as if we can be close. And I think that we need to have clear communications in all marriages, in all relationships, in all caregiving situations. But we need to keep it positive, and we need to let our loved one know what they can do to please us. And then we have to ask them, what can I do to please you? It's a two-way street. It's a lot, you know, lots of times when we're caregivers, we get really bossy. We get kind of controlling. We take it over all the responsibility because we feel so overwhelmed and alone that we become so afraid that we're, we're going to miss something. And the next thing you know, we're just like totally wired. But sometimes when I've done that, I've realized my husband actually doesn't even really want me to do that stuff. He doesn't even actually care if all that stuff gets done, So, it, other than medical stuff that needs to get done. So I found it, it's valuable to step back and say, well, what can I do for you that actually makes you feel cared about? And it may not be that which I thought I should do. Right. Tina, I'm going to ask you this question now, um, which is, what happens outside of the family when the shift, the movement has taken place from caregiver to care partner? How, how do things change uh, when the family caregiver and the family member interact with support from outside the family, such as health care and social services? Well, it's an entirely new and much more wonderful and colorful world. If we approach the world... As knowing, I, I have this motto. If you go to my website, which is tinacahill.com, and Tina spelled T-E-E-N-A, thank you, Mother, <laughs> tinacahill.com, <laughs> you will see scrolling across the top of my website some quotes. And one of the quotes that I have that I live by that's up there is, the wider our webs of connectedness, the higher we bounce. You know, when human beings were first around, we were nomads, you know, we, then I suppose we formed tribes and villages, and we really knew 
that our safety and protection and our quality of life depended on the interactions among all of us. But now we tend to live in houses and apartments and townhouses and all kinds of places, and we forget that we're part of a greater world. And so as we think of ourselves as care partners, as it relates to the world at large, we walk out our door with a different mindset, with a different, with a cognitive reframe of what can I do to contribute in this setting and by the way, I think I won't be so shy in asking people if they will contribute to me too, because I actually know the research, and I know that it's good for us to come together and connect. As I speak to you, I'm sitting in my neighbor's kitchen using their phone because I don't happen to have a landline phone here. Well, I don't know that it's their greatest moment having me sitting in their kitchen doing this, but they were very nice about it. <laughs> and so I appreciate that. And I think these kinds of connections um, are good for all of us. Right. Now, I want to pursue with you this notion, this idea, this concept of connectedness. Now, how does the connectedness improve on the one hand, between the care partners, you've mentioned quite a lot of that already, and how in particular does it influence the way they see themselves? Well, don't you like to think you can contribute to someone else's welfare? Yeah. I mean, come on. I think it, life doesn't get any better than that. Yeah. I think it's good for all of us to have a sense of responsibility toward other people. The worst thing for any of us is to feel as if we don't have value. So I think having value and knowing our strengths and being able to use them is central to our mental health. So, I mean, I think that's a big part that comes from that with our loved ones as well as in the world at large. I mean, when I'm out with my husband, um, people help me all the time. They frequently come up and offer to hold doors as I'm taking a wheelchair through or something. And if they don't, I quite often ask someone to help me if I need some help. And invariably, those, are, those people are smiling, they're kind, and I like to think that when they go home that night that they feel grateful for their lives and grateful that they were able to help. And I just think that this is the healthiest thing for all of us. Now, I want to go back to the interaction with people like I used to be, that is a doctor, <laughs> um, people like social services. When um, you two, <laughs> your <laughs> husband and you, the care partners, right. show up in the Who doctor's do they office. Do they ignore my husband and talk to me? Are you going to ask me that question? <laughs> well, that was <laughs> part they, of it. Some of them try to do that. <laughs> yeah, yeah that's, that's part of it. But there's another thing. How do they really react? Are they surprised? Is this something they've never seen before? How do they respond to it, including who do they talk to? Tina? Well, you can tell that I'm not exactly shy, right? <laughs> but then, no, no. <laughs> but my husband's no pushover either. So that's the good news. Um, it's very interesting. I, I see uh, myself as learning to manage the medical profession, and my husband and I have many conversations about it. Um, sometimes they'll be talking to him, and I will know that the information he's giving them is not correct. Now, it may be that they need to assess him and know that he's not giving. That's, that's an assessment in itself 
in and of itself that he's not able to give correct information. But sometimes I know they're not doing an assessment like that. They actually believe what he's saying. And so, as not a shy girl, I interrupt. (laughs) And I say, listen, I see that another way. And I tell them what I think. Other times, they don't want to talk to my husband. They just want to talk to me, at which point I will say, you should talk to him. And so my point is, there's no one way all the time. It just depends on the situation that you're in and how the person is. We were recently at a doctor's appointment, and you know my husband's not able to take a single step. And I, I would have imagined that this physician knew that, and the physician had a paraprofessional who was taking the first, um, the first information down, and he kept saying to my husband, Brooke, stand up. Let me see you walk. Well, the next thing I look, my husband's over here struggling in his wheelchair. He, first of all, he can't walk. He can't take a single step. It's not even safe for him to try to stand up in that kind of setting. And so I said, excuse me, he can't walk. And the fellow kept saying, oh, he didn't believe it because my husband looks pretty strong. And he actually said to my husband, well, she's pretty difficult, isn't she? But the truth was I wasn't going to let him stand up and fall. That's the point. If I thought he could have stood up and fell and not fallen, fine. But obviously this guy didn't get that. So sometimes I have to intervene because my husband's a tough guy, and, you know, he wants to show them what he can do, and some of that times that's okay. In that particular situation, it wouldn't have been okay. But other times I have to redirect people to him. He can speak for himself. He knows how he feels. He knows what's going on a lot with his body, and he's a very perceptive, smart guy. So that is a battle, sort of, that, yes, yeah, sort of, that it's a situation you have to be aware of and know that one size doesn't fit all, and in some situations, you can just be quiet and let it run. In other situations, you have to intervene. But you try to do it with good humor. And, again, it's ways we take care of one another. Sometimes my husband will say, well, talk to her. And I'll say, no, you talk. And so it, it just depends on the situation. But that, I think, is something the worst thing to do, I think, is just to take over and minimize the, uh, the contributory ability of our loved ones. I'm just going to summarize something back to you to see if you agree. Um, There are times when the family caregiver does and should be, does need to be and should be the eyes, the ears and the voice of the person being looked after. But in the nature of caregiving, caregiver partnership, then the person being cared for needs to be able to accept that there will be those times and there will be times when, so to speak, the microphone is handed back to the individual. Now, I've put that in a rather clumsy way, but what I'm really saying is that there's some negotiability about who talks because there may be a need for the family caregiver to do some talking, but it's important. Right, and it's really about power, Gordon. What you're talking about is really about power. You know, in every relationship that we have, there's a balance of power, right? So you and I are talking now. Do you know in the research, do you know who owns the power? Who do you think owns the power, the listener or the talker? That's it. That's exactly right. Now, unfortunately, we have to break at this time once more the tyranny of time. (laughs) So we'll do that, but we're coming back. So this is Dr. Gordon Adderley, and my guest is Dr. Tina Cahill. You're listening to Family Caregivers Unite on the Voice America Variety Channel. Stay tuned. We're coming back. 
Find out what makes the most successful people tick. Keep listening to the Voice America Empowerment Channel. VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com Are you happy with the management and leadership style of your organization? Do you think it could use some improvement? No matter the level of leadership at your organization, you'll be sure to learn something new when you tune in to Adesis Methodology for Collaborative Management for Exceptional Results with Dr. Ishak Adesis. Through a unique lecture and interview format, we'll bring you ideas, questions, and answers that will help you run any organization, whether for-profit or not. Listen every Saturday at 10 a.m. Pacific Time, 1 p.m. Eastern Time on Voice America Business. Follow us on Twitter for more great ideas at Voice America Empowerment. You are listening to Family Caregivers Unite with Dr. Gordon Atherley. If you have any questions or comments about our program, please address them by email to docg at familycaregiversunite.org. That's D-O-C, the letter G, at familycaregiversunite.org. Don't forget, you can catch new episodes of our program twice every week, Mondays on the Voice America Empowerment Channel and Tuesdays on the Voice America Variety Channel. Now, back to Family Caregivers Unite. Welcome back to our listeners to Family Caregivers Unite and Dr. Tina Cahill. Our topic is moving from caregiver to care partner. Now, Tina, I want to hear your messages, three of them, about moving from caregiver to care partner. So first message is, what's your message for the healthcare system about moving from caregiver to care partner? Well, as I started to say to you before, sort of who talks and who gives information is a, is sometimes about power. And in every communication, there's a balance of power. And, by, and basically, we know that the listener really owns the power. I could talk to you all day, but if you're not listening to it or it doesn't mean anything to you, it's of no value. So I think that it's really important to level the playing field in the healthcare system so that we see one another's as one another as partners and you know some of the problem over time in the healthcare system has been the medical model which has been a top down model now i think a lot has happened to change that model and i also think that my situation isn't always representative of other caregivers because I do work in the healthcare field and behavioral health, and I'm not shy, and I generally work with physicians that, you know, I know many times socially, and we're sort of on an equal level playing field. But that's not that the way for every caregiver or care partner. And so I think that we have to know that we do have the right to speak up, and we do that in an appropriate and kind way, uh, not in an aggressive way. And I do think we also have to have these conversations with our loved ones that what they need to say is highly valued, but sometimes we need to fill in too. So again, you know, it's not, you you just have to take each situation by itself. But quite honestly, if I were working with a physician who I thought was not able to listen, who sort of if you if you've read my book you'll know that when no one was calling them in to do surgery for my husband i called a neurosurgeon on a payphone and he came in and he didn't even look at the chart he sat down and said and i didn't know this guy and said what's going on here and i told him and so um i think that the healthcare system has to value 
the impression that the care partners each have of the situation and know that good medicine is both an art and a science. So is good caregiving. Right. Same question, but for social services professionals, what's your message for them? What do you mean by social service and what do you mean exactly by that? Okay, I mean the type of help system whereby a social worker may come in to assist, to advise on the kind of support that people can receive financially, um, sometimes coming to advise on the sort of help they can get, not for medical matters, but, you know, things like uh, okay. caring for the home, cleaning, that sort okay. of thing. Well, I think, again, that it's important that it be seen as a, an appropriate balance of power and that, we're, that, that caregivers be empowered to understand that, look, we're all human beings. No one is better than anyone else, and we have a right to be heard as long as we speak in an appropriate and respectful way. And by the way, we need to expect that from the social service people that are coming in to speak with us. And as I said, you know, there are ways to talk to people that are more effective and ways that are less effective. So sometimes if somebody is coming into my home and I think they're not hearing me, I might say, you know, I feel a little frustrated when you say that because I get the sense that you're not hearing what I'm saying, as opposed to saying, I can't believe you thought that. That's not what I meant. So I think that caregivers have to be extra good communicators. I think we all have to have good communication skills in all relationships, but I think as care partners and caregivers, we have to really work on it because we have to work with the professionals and the paraprofessionals in our life, and we don't really want to make it adversarial, and I think it's really, again, our job to make it work out. It's their job, too, but, you know, we can't be responsible for other people. The only person we can change is ourselves, right? Right. And so I think it's important that we find an empowered but appropriately respectful way to get the messages across. Got it. Now, last one, key one. What's your message for family caregivers and their family members? You should laugh more. (laughs) We should all see what's funny. We should take joy that we're all here. Um, We've recently had a terrible hurricane where I live on the east coast of the United States, and my motto is, other than life, Anything else can be replaced or done without. And I think that we need to see what's right, not what's wrong, to not only build on that health in one another, but to build on what's right in our lives and to count our blessings and to have gratitude and appreciation. And if you read the Harvard Adult Developmental Study, it will tell you how healthy that is for us, or the UCLA Longevity Study. I think that caregiving and care partnerships, it's no different than regular life. It's just regular life on steroids, you know? It's just regular (laughs) life times 10. And the the things that we know are healthy for us in regular life, which are include contribution and appreciation and gratitude and laughing and having fun and not taking everything so seriously, except when we have to. Well, these things are they're they're true for us as caregivers, but times ten. Yep, and hope too. And hope. Oh, 
let me just go with that. First of all, we know lots of research about the importance of optimism, and Martin Seligman has done a lot. And it, it's not like unrealistic optimism. It's like realistic optimism. And why do we need that? Because we need to have hope. And if we if we look at the darkness all the time and think nothing is right, we're going to not go forward. My motto is, uh, in a tough time, the only way to the only way to handle it is to go forward in a positive way, and to have hope that there can be a better day, or maybe a better hour, or a better moment, or a better interaction. And it's my job as a leader and my husband's job too, and everybody's job, to see how I can set the world up to develop the potential of the people around me so they too feel hope, because hope fuels us. Right. Now, unfortunately, we have to uh, come to an end. This has been a marvelous discussion. Uh, It's been stimulating. It's been hopeful, Sina. Yes. Hopeful. Well, there's a lot of hope in care partnerships. There sure is. There sure is. So thank you for that. And thank you for all that you've said, all that you've explained, and all of the things that you've encouraged family caregivers, that is all of us, to do. So all success to you and your husband and your family in your partnerships, all of them. Well, and the same uh, to you. And thank you so much for having me. It was great fun to be with you. And my best to all of Canada and my four grandchildren and children who are up there. <laughs> now I want to say thank you too to our listeners uh, at Family Caregivers Unite. We welcome hearing from listeners and we also want to hear from people who would like to be guests on our shows or have suggestions for topics. In our next episode, we'll talk about machine-assisted breathing at home, what family caregivers should know. Please join us, same time, same spot on the internet. Thank you again for joining us this week for Family Caregivers Unite with your host, Dr. Gordon Atherley. Please tune in again twice every week, Mondays at 10 a.m. Pacific Time, 1 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Empowerment Channel and Tuesdays at 10 a.m. Pacific Time, 1 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Until the next show, we hope our programs help make the coming week easier and more hopeful. Thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit VoiceAmerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management.